Hey friends, this is Josh Blair and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you could check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. We're going to be jumping into the Gospel of Mark chapter 14 today. And um, we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of Mark's Gospel in chapter 14. And at the core of what we're going to be reading about is Jesus' anointing at Bethany. But... Uh, this is another Markian sandwich that we're going to be looking at. And uh, so we're going to start in verse 1, and then we'll work our way through the rest of the passage together. But uh, as you turn there, as you, as you have your Bibles uh, open, turn to Mark chapter 14, or if you have your version Bible app, you can follow along right now, and you can go uh, right there to the uh, events tab, hit more, and then you'll see Central Valley Church pop up there, and you'll be able to... Follow along with us as we read Mark chapter 14. As you're turning there, I want to ask you this question. Would your devotion to Jesus set in motion the plans of God, not only in your life, but also in the life of others, in the lives of others? In other words, if you were to step back and look at the kind of devotion that you have, the kind of love you have for Jesus, would you say that you are setting the stage for God to move? Would your devotion to Jesus set in motion the plans that God has for your life and for the lives of others? That's what we're going to be answering today. As we stand back as, as followers of Jesus, if we, are, if we are committed Christians, Christ followers of Jesus, I want us to take a step back and look at our lives and say, is the way I'm living, is the way I pursue Jesus setting a stage for God to move in my life? This is the question we're going to be answering this morning. And I believe the answer uh, is found in Mark chapter 14, 1 through 12. I think it is possible to live a life in such a way that sets the stage for the movement or the plans of God in our life. And I, I believe we're going to read about it. This morning, before we get to the text, I want to pray for us that our hearts would be ready to receive uh, what the Lord has for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you ready to receive. We ask that you would open up our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive the word that you have for us today. I pray for encouragement for somebody right now, God, who is who is struggling, who is wrestling, who has questions. Who, who is who's going through something in their life and at home. I pray, God, that you would minister directly to them today and that, God, you would speak to us, your church, and help us, Lord, to live lives that, that create a stage, a platform for you to move in us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you haven't commented already, uh, who you're watching with, where you're watching from, go ahead and do that right now. Make sure that you, uh, you know how to type amen and come on and preach, young preacher, because I, I want to hear those comments. I want to see those comments in the comment section, either on Facebook or YouTube throughout this message. It's encouraging, and I think it's significant. So let's go into verse 1. It says this. It was now two days before the Passover. Say two days. 
It was now two days before the Passover and the, fe- and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, him it being Jesus, by stealth and to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Here's some significant timing that's going on here. We understand the Passover uh, was a celebration and a remembrance of what God had done for the people of Israel by delivering them from the oppressive hand and from slavery in Egypt. And it was a feast uh, designated by God for the people to remember that God had delivered them uh, from, from Egypt. And so this celebration, this feast was happening, and it happened uh, every year. And uh, during this time, there was a heightened sense of, uh, of, of expectation of what God was going to do. The people of God were expecting God to perform a miracle of freedom from oppression every Passover. They were expecting God to do something. So when Passover came, the people who would come and travel, the Jews would travel from all over, and they would come to Jerusalem for Passover, and they were expecting a messianic movement especially during this time where Rome was oppressing them. So Rome was already on guard, though ready, standing alert. They're thinking these people are going to do something. There's going to be some type of riot or revolt or something. And the people are already have this expectation for God to deliver his people again. And we know that Jesus on Palm Sunday, which at, at this point, just a few days before the Passover, so just Three days or four days prior to this, Jesus had entered into Jerusalem as a triumphant king, riding on the back of a donkey, and the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They have palm fronds. They're throwing their jackets. The people are thinking, the king has come. The Messiah has come. He's going to kick Rome out. He's going to establish, and he's going to do it during Passover. And we begin to see this very specific timeline that's happening here uh, for the people of Israel, the people of God. So emotions and expectations are high. They, they notice uh, that, that Jesus is there. But I want you to notice something that Mark points out to us in chapter 14 in these few first verses. He says, the plan, he tells us what the plans uh, were for the chief priests and the scribes. What was their plan? That they would arrest Jesus secretly to kill him, but not during the feast. Why? Because it says they don't want an uproar of the people because the people are looking for a Messiah. They're waiting for their king. They're expecting it to be Jesus. And the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the chief priests say, hey, we can't do it when the people are going to be all riled up, so we have to do it later. Notice that they don't have any fear of the Lord to arrest and wrongly try and convict an innocent man they have fear of people what they might think if they do something like this it's very interesting that typically people who have a fear of man don't normally have a fear of god and people who have a fear of god don't typically have a fear of man really you can't have both you can't have a fear of god and a fear of man the bible says that we should not have a fear of men or a fear of women or a fear of humanity of what they might think about us but we should always think about what god is thinking about us and a fear of and holy reverence towards God and these religious leaders had no holy reverence to God, but they certainly had fear of people. And if you have that in your life, you might have an issue that needs to be dealt with. But they they wanted to wait after, notice their plan was to wait after the Passover feast to arrest and kill Jesus. But we know that that didn't happen. 
Their plan was, let's wait till all of this settles out and people leave and people start flooding out of Jerusalem. Let's wait till Passover is over. Then we'll arrest him, wrongly try him, and crucify him. But we know, because we stand on this side of history, that that didn't happen. That their timeline did not work out that way. We know that shortly after they had made this statement, that they went ahead and arrested, falsely tried, convicted, and crucified Jesus. We know that God's plan for Jesus, uh, because of the foreshadowing we see in the Old Testament, we see that Jesus was going to be our Passover lamb. I'll talk more about it in the, in the coming weeks. But we understand out of Exodus chapter 12, when, G, when God is calling his people Israel out from, uh, from bondage, that he gives them this symbol of the Passover lamb, and they take the blood. They have a lamb that lives with them for three or four days. They have to observe it and make sure it's perfect without blemish, and then they sacrifice it, and they smear its blood across the doorposts and the door frames of their home, symbolically the, the image of the cross being, being revealed horizontally and vertically. And then they would sit and eat the Passover meal, which the Passover lamb they would eat. And so Jesus, he begins to reveal that he's going to be the Passover lamb for us. We even, as we get later on in chapter 14, we see the institution of Holy Communion. And he says, you're going to eat my, 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 my meat, my, my flesh. You're going to eat, drink my blood. And it's this revelation that, that Jesus is the Passover lamb for us. And so we'll get more into that later on. But we see the Passover is established and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were established as a foreshadow of what was to come and what Jesus would be doing and what would be fulfilled in Jesus. And so he, we, God knows that his plan was that Jesus would be revealed in Passover as the sacrifice that would end all sacrifices. He would be the one who was sacrificed for us. He would be our covering, our protection, our provision, and so much more. But this wasn't the plan of the chief priests or the scribes. They wanted to wait until all the chaos died down, but God had other plans. My question is for us this morning, what might have led to their change of plans? What might have shifted their plans from what they had planned to what God had planned? What, what in the middle there caused there to be a shift to say, you want to do something, but it's not going to go the way you want it to go. It's going to go the way I want it to go. There had to be something that shifted. And I told you at the beginning that this is a Markian sandwich. And so we've looked at the top layer, the top layer of bread. So we're going to skip the meat. We're going to go down to the bottom layer of the bread of the sandwich, and we're going to read that, and hopefully that's going to give us a clue of what happened to make a shift uh, from their plans to wait to, okay, we're going to move right now. And so let's see what that is. In verse 10, it says this, then, so Mark is, Mark is saying, some, after this thing happened, then, in verse 10, Judas Iscariot who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them, betray Jesus to them. Verse 11, And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the betrayer. As when, when Judas is first introduced to us in Mark's gospel, Mark says, And then there is Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. 
now he's, he's letting you know, this one who was a part of the 12, who was a part of a fo- the followers of Jesus, he is going to be the one who betrays Jesus. And he is, he's saying that something happened, that Judas witnessed something that set him over the edge that caused him to say, now I have to move. Now I'm going to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus. There was something that shifted there. And Mark lets us know, then after this event, Judas went to portray Jesus. Now let's go to the middle of the sandwich to see what uh, possibly could have set Judas over the edge and set God's plan in motion. There was something that, see, the, the plans of men are one thing, but there's something that can shift the plans of men and make them the plans of God. And so there was, a, there was something here in this story that shifted the plans of the leaders and made it into the plans of God. Verse 3, we're going back to read now the middle of this sandwich. It says, And while he was at Bethany, this is Jesus, at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. See, Mark doesn't tell us the name of this woman, but John's gospel does. And John says, this woman who anointed Jesus with this very costly perfume, this ointment, was Mary of Bethany, who's, who uh, had a brother named Lazarus and a sister named Martha. What do we know about Mary? Mary was a very devout follower of Jesus. There are stories where, where Martha was running around the house trying to prepare everything, but But Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus because she wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. She wanted to be like Jesus. Anytime that you saw uh, when a rabbi was teaching, those students who sat at his feet, they would sit there as a place of, I want to be a teacher, a rabbi, just like you. The, the, The students would sit at the rabbi's feet so that they could become later a rabbi, just like their rabbis. And so we see Mary sitting, sitting, at the, sitting at the feet of Jesus and demonstrating, I want, I'm so devoutly in love that I will sit at your feet. So this is the woman, who devoutly a follower of Jesus, and we see that she is the one, John tells us, is the one who pours out this most beautiful gift upon Jesus. Verse 4 says this, Then there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted? Like that. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. 300 denarii, we understand that it's almost a year's wage for a, a, a day laborer. You can maybe earn one denarii per day, and so 300 is almost an entire year's wage. So it was pretty expensive, and a very expensive ointment that probably was passed down uh, from generation to generation as a kind of like a fa- family heirloom. And we see that, again, Mark doesn't tell us who was the first to begin to scold her and become indignant, but John, the beloved disciple, he did tell us. He said it was Judas is the first one who who began to scold her and said indignantly, why are you wasting this? This could be sold. And what's interesting about John's gospel is that he says, but Judas said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. 
and he had his hand in the money bag and knew if they could have sold that and gotten the money, he would have taken some for himself. He didn't care about the poor. He cared about his own pockets. And so John gives us a little bit more insight than Mark does about what's happening in this passage. But John lets us know Judas was the one who first began to try to shame this woman for her beautiful gift that she bestowed on Jesus. And it's John who continues to say that Judas was upset about this because he was a dirty, rotten thief and a betrayer. But then Jesus fires back to Judas and the others. You notice Judas is the one who begins, and then Mark says, then all of them started chiming in. Do you notice how people who are negative can get others to get negative as well and begin to speak their opinion when no one asked for it? Yeah, that's what happened with Judas and his other disciples were going on, and Jesus began to fire back. In verse 6, he said this, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? For he, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Some translations translate that to good. But th- this word should, is better translated as beautiful. She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you don't always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Which is true because we're talking about it right now. We're talking about what she has done for Jesus in this moment. So there is a few things that I want to uh, point out to us real quickly. The first, like I mentioned earlier, John's gospel said that it was Mary who did this to Jesus. Mary, we know, is a devout follower of Jesus, and it appears that she was listening to him all the times that he had told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I'm going to be turned over to the hands of wicked men that are going to kill me. But three days later, I will rise again, right? He said it countless times. He said it three times in two chapters, in 9 and 10. He said it again. Uh, This last chapter, he said, this is going to happen. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me, right? But the disciples, the 12 disciples, the men, seem to not ever get it. And even now that they're in Jerusalem, they're like, yeah, we're going into our kingdom. They don't think that Jesus is going to die. But Mary, a devout follower who has sat at the feet of Jesus to listen to him teach, has been paying attention. And she knows that he has come to Jerusalem for one thing, and that is to die for the sins of of all the world. He's going to be the sacrificial lamb. He's going to be the Passover lamb. She's been paying attention. And because she's been paying attention, she understands uh, that, that he has to be anointed. She understands that there's something that has to happen here for him. So we see her love and her devotion for Jesus, knowing that he's going to Jerusalem to die. And she wanted to make sure his body was prepared for burial before he got there. So historically what they would do is they would always pour ointments and oils and fine perfumes over the dead as they prepared them for burial. And she knew, knowing that she might not get an opportunity to do that on behalf of Jesus, did it beforehand as a loving act of of devotion to him. So she sees this, and what also also stands out to me about this anointing that that she does here is that she pours out the entire bottle over his head. See, oftentimes when guests would enter into your home, sometimes you would anoint their head with oil, just a dab of it, and just kind of as a blessing to them and welcome into our homes is what they would do. But she breaks the entire bottle open and dumps it over his head. And I think that's significant 
and symbolic of what's happening here because we understand in the Old Testament, anytime a king or a priest was called to a, to a kingdom role by God, they would be anointed with oil. We see that with Samuel, who's anointing the kings over Israel. We see it over the high priest, Aaron, when he is anointed as high priest. And we begin to see that Mary's been paying attention. She has been paying attention when Jesus rode in on the donkey on Palm Sunday as the triumphant king coming into Jerusalem. But she understood Jesus was never anointed as king. So I need to make sure not only am I going to anoint him uh, as a preparation for his burial that's coming in just a few days because I've been paying attention, but I also know that he needs to be appointed and anointed as king. So I'm going to break this oil over his head. And she now steps into the role of prophet and saying, I now anoint you king over God's people. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that because she's been devoted and following and watching and listening to Jesus, she knows instinctively what should be happening, even though his disciples all around him have not been paying attention. It kind of relates back to chapter 13 where Jesus says, be awake, be aware. Things are going to be happening. You need to be aware of the times that you're in and be mindful of what's going on. Mary is mindful. She has been paying attention. She anoints Jesus as king over Israel. In this act, not only is she preparing him for burial, she's declaring him as king. And not only that, but this anointing uh, declares that he will be our high priest. It talks more about it in the book of Hebrews. But we understand that Jesus is also, not only is he our king, he is also our high priest. And this act of love, notice that it was not an act of obedience. No one told her to do that. She was doing it out of pure devotion for Jesus. So she sets the stage not only for Jesus' burial, his death, burial, uh, resurrection, and ascension. She, she, she establishes his kingship through this anointing on his head. And she also declares that as he is in heaven, he is our high priest, continually making prayer and supplication for us. It's a beautiful act. That's why Jesus says, the act that she has done this evening will be remembered wherever the gospel is preached because she has established, she has let us in, she's helped us to see the threefold role that Jesus plays as prophet, priest, and king. That's, those are the three roles that Jesus, that, that Jesus holds. He is the prophet who, who predicted his own death. He is the priest who became the sacrifice. He is the king whose royal duty was to come and die for us. And she says, this prophet, this priest, this king is ready to be buried. But three days later, he'll rise again. And she broke the oil and poured it over his head. We see her setting the, helping to set the final stages of Jesus' three-fold role. And Mary's action, in it we see her devotion to Jesus. She listened to the prophet. She recognized the sacrifice of the priest. And she anointed the king who was to die. And it's in my opinion that her devotion to Christ set in motion the plan of God. Because once Judas saw the act, he moved swiftly to betray Jesus. So her devotion, her love act of devotion helped to set in motion the plans of God. For the men who desired to to betray Jesus had one plan, but God had another. And in her action, She lined up with God's plan, and it caused the wicked men to line up with his plan as well. There's something in her her devotion 
that set into motion God's plan. And that's something that we need to hear that this morning. The chief priests wanted to wait, but God had other plans. And it was the devotion of Mary to Jesus that set things into motion. Can you say it with me? Her devotion set things into motion. Her devotion set things into motion. What Judas and some of the other disciples said was a waste, Jesus called beautiful. little side note here. The word, well, I find interesting, the word that Mark uses right here for the word waste is the same word John uses, but is to describe Judas, the son of perdition. That word perdition is, is also can be translated as waste. So Judas said this gift, this anointing of Jesus was a waste. And John in his gospel says, no, your life has been wasted. Because you, you didn't know who Jesus was and you wasted your life in the pursuit of things that didn't matter. It's almost as if John is saying this. It's better that I give it all to Jesus than to waste my life on anything else like Judas did. I think it's just interesting. A little side note for you there. So what, what's the point of my message? Why am, I, why am I talking about the alabaster flask in a different way? This is a message I've not preached this way ever before, but as I was studying and praying and asking the Lord, what is it that he wants us to hear in this season through this text? I heard him say this very distinct thing to me, that Mary's loving act of devotion set God's plan into motion. That, that her act of devotion to Jesus, unsolicited, but her act of, I love you so much, Jesus, and I, and I have been paying attention, so I'm going to do this as an act of love to you, Jesus. Because she did that, it set into motion the plans of God that we're going to move forward, not only for her life, but for the life of others. Why is that important for us to know? Because you never know what your loving act of devotion for Christ will set into motion in your life or the lives of others. You never know the kind of love action and devotion that you have to Jesus, what it will set into motion into your lives. We know this personally, that when we respond to the love of Jesus in our lives, our response of devotion to him sets in motion the plans of God now into our lives. When we are no longer, when we are not believers, when we are outside the kingdom of God, we are operating outside the plans of God for our lives. But when we turn and turn to Jesus and say, I turn and I give my life to Jesus, I devote my life to Jesus, my life is yours, God, whatever you will for me, I will do it. That devotion sets into motion the plans of God. Amen? So Mary demonstrates that for us. Her love action, her love devotion to Jesus sets into motion what God had planned and predestined, and saying, now I'm going to bring this back into full circle. People have set their own pl plans and paths. And, uh, it, Proverbs tells us that a man will set his own way, but God knows what it's going to be like. You might have plans for, for tomorrow, but it might not work out the way you thought because it's going to line up. And so Mary's action lined up with God's plan and motion. The other thing I want you to remember is that you can set the plan of God in your life by your loving devotion to Jesus. You can release the plans of God in your life by your devotion to Jesus. If you're wondering, am I, am I following God's will? Am I in God's will? What is the plan for him? My, my, my recommendation to you is this. Devote yourself to Jesus. Lovingly devote and let your actions speak of your devotion to Jesus. 
and watch the plans of God unfold in your life. This is what I believe we see in this story of the anointing of of Jesus at Bethany. The second thing I want you to take from this, first thing is this, Mary's loving action set into motion God's plan. Her love of devotion set God's plan into motion. It's a good way to remember it. Number two is this, what some call a waste, Jesus calls beautiful. See, the disciples, starting with Judas, began to say this is a waste. What you're doing for Jesus is a waste. What you just did right now is a waste. It could have been used better in different places. And Jesus says, no, it's not a waste. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. See, there are going to be people in your life that tell you that you're wasting your time, wasting your energy, wasting your money in following Jesus. You're wasting everything. Why are you doing this? Why are you a Christian? Why are you following this? It's a waste of time. Can I tell you, Jesus says it's not a waste. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. The time that you spend in prayer, it's not a waste of time. It's beautiful to Jesus. The time that you spend in the word of God, reading his word, going through it, trying to understand it, diving into it, it's not a waste of time. It's beautiful in the eyes of Jesus. When you care for people and love for people and you give, not expecting for something in return, people might think, you're wasting. You're wasting your investment. Jesus says, it's not a waste. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. When you're caring for your little ones at home or you're caring for your spouse and you're demonstrating love, To them, it's not a waste of time. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. This is what Jesus says. The world might say what you're doing and how you live your life for Christ is a waste, but he will always call it beautiful. You don't know what kind of impact your devotion to Jesus will make in this world because it's not a waste in the eyes of God. Number three, the last thing I want you to glean and take from this message is this, that Jesus expects you to do what only you can do. Jesus expects you to do what only you can do. In verse 8, he says this of Mary. He says, she has done what she could do. She has done what she could do. Somebody needs to hear that right now. Some of you are trying and trying. You think, I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm not going to be like so-and-so, or I'm not, I can't achieve what they achieve. Jesus is saying, look, I don't expect you to be a superhuman or a super Christian and get it right all the time, but I do expect you to do what only you can do. I expect you to do what you can do. Jesus isn't asking us to do something he doesn't expect that we can do. He, he's asking us to do the things that he wants us to do and, and says that you can do it. He's saying this, Jesus is expecting you to do what you have in your power to do. Whatever is within your power to do right now in your devotion to him, he says, do it. Don't look for excuses. Do what you can do today to show your devotion to him. What I love about Mary's act of devotion and love is that it wasn't asked of her to do it. She did it willingly out of a love she had for Jesus. Sometimes we need to get creative. We need to get creative in how we, uh, in how we demonstrate our love for God. He loves obedience. We know that scripture tells us that he would rather have obedience over sacrifice, right? We understand that he loves obedience, but he also loves spontaneity. He also loves 
hey, I'm just going to do this because I love Jesus. And let, I, no one asked me to do it. He, I didn't feel like I got a divine uh, appointment from heaven to go do this, like a mandate from heaven to go do this. But I know Jesus loves these people. I'm going to go just love on them. Or I'm going to go do something that demonstrates that I'm passionately in love with Jesus. Come on, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You know, when your husband does something nice for you out of the blue, un- totally unexpected, you didn't ask him to do the dishes, you didn't ask him to do the laundry, you didn't ask him to bring home flowers, he just does it, and you're like, what? Boy loves me? Come on, can I get an amen, at least from one person? Can I get an amen from my wife? Can I get something? Come on, you know what I'm talking about? When, when there's spontaneity, God loves obedience. He also loves a spontaneous gift of devotion and love. And so we see that and happens in Mary, and, uh, and I love that too. God loves it. God loves it when we obey, but he also loves random acts of love to him and for him. So here's my challenge, church. My challenge is this. Let your devotion for Jesus be seen. Let your devotion for Jesus be seen. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, let your devotion to him be seen. Let your love for him be seen. Not so that people can look at you like, whoa, wow, what a godly person. What a wonderful Christian person. No, we don't do it for the applause or approval of men. Certainly Mary did not do it. Her act actually brought uh, those who said they followed Jesus to scold her action. So we, are, we don't do it for the applause of people. We don't do it because if you, if you rise on the applause of people, you will fall at their criticism. And so we don't, look for, we don't look for the approval of man. We don't look for the approval of humanity. We look for the approval of God. So let your devotion be seen as an approval uh, for God for, so that when you are living out your life for Jesus, God says, man, look at my son. Look at my daughter. I am well pleased in them. They're, look at this spontaneous act of love they did just, just because they love me. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So I would say to you, church, if you're a follower of Jesus, let your devotion to Jesus be seen. Let it be seen. And for those who don't have uh, a relationship with Jesus, who you don't, you don't say that, maybe you don't, you don't believe in Jesus, maybe you've had a relationship but you've walked away and you've not allowed him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life, I would say this, if you'll devote your life to him today, you will, you will set into motion the plans of God for your life. I want to go back and just let, I want to remind you, church, that as, as you set your devotion, allow your devotion to be seen by others, the plans of God begin to set into, into motion in your life, and not only into your life, but in the lives of others, those that you've been praying for, those that you've been hoping that they would put their love and trust in life and trust in Jesus. That, that, that could happen as you allow your devotion to be seen. So those of, those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, my challenge for you today is this. Try Jesus. Put your devotion, put your, devote your life to him and allow him to reveal his plans for you. Maybe you're thinking, I don't have, a, I don't have plans. I don't know what tomorrow holds. My life is just chaotic. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I, I don't know. There's all this stuff going around in the world. It seems so chaotic. And you don't know what's going to happen next. Can I tell you, God does know. And he does have a plan for you. But that plan is only revealed in devotion and relationship with Jesus in your life. So I want to pray with you right now that you would put your hope and trust in Jesus, devote your life to him, and allow his plan to be unfolded in your life. If that's you right now, I just want to pray with you. And uh, let's go ahead and close our eyes um, and bow our heads and let's pray together. 
Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. Right now, I put my trust in you. I devote my life to you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Radically transform me from the inside out. Give me a hope and a future. Forgive me for my past, my sin, and my wrongs. I turn from that, and I turn to you. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we want to connect with you. We want to hear from you. If you're watching right now live on YouTube, on Facebook, you can, put a, you can click the link there that for the eConnect and then we can get connected right there. You can put in your information. If you're listening on the podcast or a later time, you can reach out to us, info at cvcmadera.com. We would love to hear from you that God is ministering to you. God is t- touching you. You pray to prayer salvation so that we can help you along this journey of following Jesus. And for the rest of us who are followers of Jesus, I want to challenge you again to allow your devotion to Jesus be seen because in your devotion you can set into motion the plans of God. So I want to just pray for you right now that there would be boldness and courage in your life as you decide to pursue after Jesus. Your loving act of devotion can set God's plan into motion. And I believe that for you and for your loved ones, for those that you come in contact with, let people see how madly in love you are with Jesus. And he, he wants to be revealed to you. And, and through you. So let me pray for us right now as, our, as we close out our time and believe that God's going to minister. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for your presence. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in every home, every car, every person who's, been, who's watching this, Lord, and has relationship with you, God. You are working in them right now. And I pray, God, that you would stir in them a passion for your name, a passion for devotion for you, Jesus, that you would increase their desire for you, increase their hunger for your word, increase their hunger for prayer and intimacy with you, increase for their, uh, their hunger for demonstration of their devotion to you. And I pray as they demonstrate how madly in love and passionate they are about you, Jesus, that the plans of God would be un- unfolded and m- set into motion in their lives and in the lives around them. Lord. I pray that you would work in them and through them in the mighty name of Jesus. God and all your people said, amen. Amen. Church, I love you so much. I'm so excited for what God is doing, what he is speaking, and I pray that you would be passionately in love with Jesus this week. God bless. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It'd help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cvcmadera.churchcenter.com for more information. We love you. God bless.